Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. On the heels of the first presidential debate, Bishop talks about a nation divided. He gave a speech at Holy Cross College last week called Faithful Citizenship in a Divided Nation. Here a summary of that speech on this episode, including the importance of not only voting, but trying to positively impact our culture in other ways too, like keeping dialogue constructive and calm rather than destructive and polarizing. If you have a question for Bishop to answer, you can submit it at RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Welcome to another episode of Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, and as always, joined by our Bishop, Kevin C. Rhodes. Good to have you again. Thank you, Kyle. Good to be here with you. So, we recently gave a talk at Holy Cross College about uh, political responsibility. We're going to be talking about it a little bit more, but it made me think about... Do you remember when you turned 18 and your first time voting? I assume it was yeah, when, you when know you were 18. I, um, I, I don't. I would have been a freshman in college, and I, I think I voted, um, <laughs> but I, I don't remember. Uh-huh. I can't. I'll, let me, I'll have to think about that. Yeah. Would have been with the, the punches? I don't know. When did they start with the, the punching, the, the chads and everything? Yeah, I, the don't, hanging chads. I don't remember that either. It's mm-hmm. terrible. I think I need to... <laughs> No one's asked me that. I'm going to have to think back because when I was in college, let's see, I turned 18 as a freshman in college in November, and that would have been 19, November 1975. Now, there would have been an election in 76, so that would have been my first time voting. For a presidential For election. For a presidential election, yeah. right. But I don't remember I have to let me let I'll, it I'll was try a while to think ago. about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, good. Do you have a a prayer for us this morning? Sure. Why don't we pr- ask the Holy Spirit? Because um, in our polarized society, we need unity, and of course, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of unity. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant us in the same spirit to be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Our Lady, Seat of Wisdom. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Lady, Seed of Wisdom. Seat. Seat. Okay. That's one of Our Lady's titles. That's Uh, a good one. Yeah, because she held in her lap wisdom itself. Right. Yeah, her son Jesus. Yeah. Well, before we get into the talk that you gave and kind of breaking that down a little bit, there's been some recent news about the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett about for the nominated for the U.S. Supreme Court Justice. Have you met her? Oh, yes. Before? Yes. I've confirmed a couple of her, her children. Oh, okay. sure. And, um, you know, she has seven children. Mm-hmm. Amy and her husband and family, they're members of St. Joseph Parish in South Bend. And, of course, she's been a professor at the uh, University of Notre Dame in the law school. Very distinguished, very popular professor, but brilliant legal 
scholar. I think she's still teaching, of course, even though, of course, she's uh, now a judge on the Seventh Circuit, yeah. Superior Court. But I think she continued to teach one course at, at the university. Okay. You know, interesting, today I'll be celebrating the Red Mass at Notre Dame at the Basilica of the Sacred Heart. And uh, every year we have two Red Masses, one in Fort Wayne and one in South Bend. And the one in South Bend is at the Basilica. So a lot of the uh, the dean and a lot of the faculty and students of the law school are there. Mm-hmm. So um, I'll be preaching uh, some of the same themes that I spoke about at the talk that I gave at Holy Cross College. You know, talking about the divided, polarized nation, and then what is our responsibility as faithful citizens in a divided nation, mm-hmm. the political responsibility of Catholics. So since I just spoke about it at Holy Cross, some of those themes I think are quite important. And I thought, well, in my Red Mass homily, I'll try to touch on those themes as well, although it's a different genre. Preaching yeah. a homily, I'll be using the scriptures, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But the Red Mass is for those in the legal profession. And so there's a lot of overlap, obviously. Yeah. I guess a little bit, maybe instead of, um, for most of us being as spectators and you know voters, and those in the legal profession might have a little bit more influence and hands-on with some of these issues, I guess a little bit of a different audience perhaps. Yes, and actually the Red Mass at Notre Dame, always we always invite the political science department Okay, and those in, in studying government. So it's kind of a, and actually, to be honest, a, a Red Mass is also for civic officials. Mm-hmm. So you do see people who attend are some of our elected officials, as well as those who serve in the judiciary. So you have judges and, and lawyers and law professors mm-hmm. and, and law students. So it's a very interesting group. I, I, I always put a lot of time and thought into homilies at the, for the Red Mass because I think it's important to, uh, especially to talk about how to to live and work in the legal profession or in civic life as Catholics. You know, we don't separate our faith from our vocation in the sense that um, we're called to be 11 in society. Mm -hmm. So if you look at someone like Amy Coney Barrett, obviously she's a woman of faith, Mm -hmm. you know, a practicing Catholic, and she's an outstanding legal scholar. So makes me think about... um, the apostolic exhortation of Pope St. John Paul II, where he wrote about, um, it's called Christi Fidelium Laici, on the laity, the lay Christian faithful in the life of the church. It's a very wonderful letter that Pope John Paul wrote about no matter what our walk in life, no matter what our career, you know, we're Christians, okay? We're disciples of Christ. And that is something to remember also in the context of our polarized society. You know, one of the things I talked about in in my talk at Holy Cross was the importance of fidelity to the teachings of the church. And a lot of Catholics, faithful Catholics who who do embrace the teaching of the church find themselves politically homeless today. Mm-hmm. Did you come up with that term, by the way? No, no, I've okay. seen it. I've seen it in other... Because I feel like it, is, it explains it so well. Like... <laughs> yeah, no, I've read it. I mean, there's various various writers who've used okay. that term. So it wasn't original. I wish it was. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
and, and when you look at polarization in society, you know, one of the sad things is that there's also polarization among Catholic Americans. And that saddens me because we should be, okay, it's okay to have different, some different political views. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're all called to be faithful to Catholic teaching, especially mm-hmm. Catholic social doctrine. Because when you're talking about public life, you're talking about politics, you know, Catholic social doctrine has a lot to say. So, you know, what I keep emphasizing, I think that if we had greater unity within the church among Catholics here in the United States, I think we'd be truly 11 in society for greater unity, hmm. for greater harmony, because we have such rich social teachings. But unfortunately, what will happen is some will succumb to the temptation of adopting positions of either political party, Democrat or Republican, that are contrary to the truths of the faith. Right. You know, I think what's really, really important, and I, I, I say this a lot, that that we need to be Catholics first, mm-hmm. and we need to be Christians first. I think the polarization in the church is happens because we have some Catholics who are more Democrat than they are Catholic, or Catholics who are more Republican than they are Catholic. That's that's one of the things that I, I spoke about in the in the speech at Holy Cross College. And you also talked about some of the other kind of alternative parties. So you've got your Republican Democrat, but also you mentioned the Solidarity Party, which I, I know you talked about. It's not very popular, and maybe even a lot of people don't know about it. But it, it tends to align very closely with Catholic social teaching. Do you know, maybe this is a topic for a future episode, but do you know the origins of the Solidarity Party or, or how that came I to be? I don't, but it was already in existence four years ago. That's when I first learned about it before mm-hmm. the 2016 presidential election. To be honest, the two-party system in our country is so strong that yeah. it's really hard for another party to gain any traction. Mm-hmm. But from what I know of the American Solidarity Party, it seems to have a platform that's very much based on principles of Catholic social teaching. Mm-hmm. Kind of reminds me of in Europe in the past, there were the Christian Democrat parties, which really, you know, kind of were based on or at least very much influenced by Catholic social doctrine. Hmm. So four years ago, when I learned about the American Solidarity Party, I thought, oh, uh, this might be good for the future. Maybe it'll attract people. But now I'm not so sure. You know, because I don't hear much about it. I don't think many people have never even heard of it. So, you know, we, we wonder, or I wonder, can a third party succeed in our nation? Mm-hmm. Maybe there's potential. You know, there are a lot of Catholics. I, I think I saw a figure of 40%, but I'm not sure. I think what I saw was that 40% of Catholics are independent so they're not oh, wow uh, like actually regi- registered as independent registered or? as independent okay. now i'd have to double check that but i think that's what i saw and some people because they don't feel at home in the democrat or republican party they kind of feel well there's things in their platforms that as a catholic i can't really embrace so they become independent you know, the downside of that is you kind of lose your voice in some ways, especially in states where you can't vote in primary elections. Mm-hmm. And even if one chooses to become independent, 
you have to be careful because independents can also <laughs> embrace ideologies or positions that are contrary to the faith. So, and then we have Catholics who who remain in, you know, in their political party, Democrat or Republican, but they place their fidelity to the church's teaching ahead of of the ideology of their party. Mm -hmm. So, what they'll do is try from within mm -hmm. to have a change in a part of the political party that that is not in harmony with the faith. That's not easy to do, right? you know, as you know. But, I mean, I'll give you an example. When I was in Pennsylvania, I mean, years ago, there were a lot more pro-life Democrats. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you probably heard of Governor Robert Casey. He was a very prominent pro-life Democrat. There were a lot of pro-life pro Democrats mm -hmm. in Pennsylvania. But I think it was the early 90s, I forget. But at one point, because of his pro-life position, he was disinvited from being a speaker at the Democratic Party convention. Hmm. That was really um, heartbreaking in a way. And since then, there's been a rapid decline, a significant decline in uh, pro-life Catholic Democrats in, in Congress. That's one issue. And then, you know, I could talk also about a Catholic in the Democratic Party or a Catholic in the Republican Party who is faithful to the teachings of the church and then fighting for the truth. And we're not talking here about what would be specifically religious issues. In other words, like why are we bringing our religious issues into politics? No, right. we're talking about moral issues. Right. We're talking about laws mm -hmm. you know, that are proposed or, or statutes or whatever. And you know, if a position of a political party is contrary to what they're considering the law or whatever, contrary to teachings of our faith and right reason, because right. we believe, you know, our Catholic social doctrine, yes, it's centered in faith, but also use of reason, mm -hmm. the natural law, et cetera. So we have Catholics in those parties who are really trying to, to have changes from within. And some of it is the dignity of the person. Uh, I think some of it is, you mentioned ethics, morals, also science, and we can see where, and you, you, people just need to go and, and watch it. If you go to, I, I went to Facebook and looked up Holy Cross College, and it was one of the things recently posted on there. You could watch the whole video there. But talking about one party who would maybe deny what science is teaching us about the ecology and what's happening with the earth and pollution and all of the, the effects of that, Another party might ignore the science of when life begins. Mm -hmm. And just to see an entire political party denying science or an entire political party de denying the dignity of certain people, whether it be foreigners or the unborn or the elderly with euthanasia or even capital punishment, you mentioned, you know, and the, the dignity of the person even a criminal. And we've talked about this before on the show, but these two different parties and then the people that are represented by them, so different people running for office, whether it be you know president or a Congress or governor or whatever, falling into line with the political teachings. And then we as Catholics, you mentioned, we might register as, as one of the other political party, but trying to what ultimately ends up being the lesser of two evils a lot of times whenever we look and we're weighing these two decisions. 
what is our responsibility as Catholics when we're choosing to, who do we support? Who do we, you know, promote maybe? Try not to focusing too much on the negative of who do we put down, I guess. But how, how do we resolve these issues as Catholics? Yeah, you're asking some very good questions. First of all, we have a, a Catholic responsibility, a Christian responsibility to promote the common good. And when you think about it, political activity and even the, the purpose of government and the goal of government is to promote and protect the common good. Mm-hmm. That's The church teaches that clearly. You can read that in the catechism. So we shouldn't withdraw from political participation. We have a moral responsibility to be engaged for the sake of the common good. And one of the ways that we are engaged or, or exercise our responsibility for the common good is by voting. And I've spoken many times here, in, I think, on Redeemer Radio, but definitely a lot of times in columns that I've written or talks that I've given about decision-making when it comes to voting. You know, we talk about a well-formed conscience is so important, mm-hmm. and then making a prudential judgment. And people can read about that in the U.S. Bishop's document, Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship. And I don't want to go through that. I know I've talked about it here on this show before. But what I tried to get across in my speech at Holy Cross College was that we shouldn't limit our political activity, speaking of lay people, to just voting. In other words, we should be bearing witness to our moral truths and social doctrine even in other ways. We can do so in the media. Mm -hmm. We can do so in the public square. We can do so in everyday conversations. That we're to witness to our values at work and in the community. So I encourage – that's why it's important to be actively participating in various ways, I know you know there are a lot of Catholics who are involved in pro-life groups and activities and mm-hmm. pro-life advocacy. I mean, that's that's one way of of really being politically engaged. Community efforts to combat racism would mm-hmm. be another way. Organizations that help and advocate for the poor and the needy. Campaigns of justice for immigrants, or as you mentioned, the ecological movement. Activities for the protection of our common home. Right. Up in South Bend, we have you know peacemaking initiatives. So there's a lot of ways where and opportunities we have, and even in our parishes, depending on the parish, where there are groups or there are opportunities for education and advocacy, getting engaged in promoting the work of Catholic charities, getting engaged in promoting the work and supporting Catholic relief services. So these ideas for engagement, I think, will help also influence the culture because politics often reflects culture right. you know i mean yeah we want to elect pro life representatives etc mm-hmm. but it's very difficult when if you have a majority of people in our country living in this more relativistic culture you know politics follows culture mm-hmm. so the church has a really important role in the evangelization of culture so i just wanted to bring that out because i think if we're really going to see change We need more involvement, not less, and it goes much beyond voting. Um, And I am so proud, and I believe so firmly in the Catholic churches, our church's consistent ethic of life, in fidelity to the gospel of Jesus, and in accord with right reason, 
that uh, we have something great to offer for the healing of our nation and for, I would call it, the moral prosperity of our nation. Hmm. And we need to avoid the inconsistency, even hypocrisy, of both far-right and far-left ideologies. In my talk at Holy Cross, I kind of, as a way of example, I, I, I actually focused on four issues because I thought, you know, there are many issues we could look at, but I wanted to look at some that are polarizing and where we as Catholics stand or should stand right. when it comes to, to these four issues. I would, have, I would have done more, but my, I only had an hour to speak. So <laughs> Yeah, I think you said like every one of these issues could have been its own talk or its own book. Right, but, exactly, exactly. But it's good for us to have like a little summary in, all in one place. Right, right. I also talked about, you know, the anger in, in the society and, you know, dealing with the problems that we're facing as far as the breakdown of political conversation where it's become very divisive mm-hmm. and very nasty. I, I, I did want to f- focus on that, too, in my talk, which I did at the first part of the talk. But I don't know if you want to talk about that or if you want to talk about the issues I talked about. Or- yeah, I, because I think that's important because that whole kind of polarization is seems like it just keeps escalating because of drama within the media, within social media. And like you mentioned, with, even within Catholic circles, that there are Catholics who are creating all of this anger and rage and writing letters to bishops. And one of the things he said was, <laughs> I wonder how they can call themselves good Catholics whenever their words are so contrary to the teachings of Jesus. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, maybe if you can comment a little bit on that, and then maybe after the break, we can talk a little bit about those, where Catholics should stand on, on those four different issues. I, I mean, how do we stop... I guess starting with Catholics, but how do we calm the the rage or the, the extremism and the the name calling and mudslinging? And I mean, it's only going to get worse. I think, unfortunately, as we get closer to the election, where I mean, it's always been kind of a tradition with political ads that instead of talking about what you're going to do, you talk about how bad the other person is. Yeah. And I feel like we've carried this into our lives, and instead of talking about good things and doing good things, we talk about the bad things other people are doing and we complain about them instead of doing good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of dangerous what I see happening in our country. You know, what I'd call sinful anger and, um, you know... It's the, one of the seven deadly sins. Right, right. Wrath. And sometimes we'll, people might say, well, this is righteous anger. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, you know, I think we mentioned this before, but, you know, when you talk about anger... Yeah, we should be angry about abortion. We should be angry about racism. We should be angry about injustice. Okay, that's righteous anger. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, and we see that even in Jesus. When anger becomes unrighteous or becomes the sin of wrath, it's it's uncontrolled. It's something that is disrespectful to the other another person. Okay. You know, it becomes outrage. And it lacks really basic love mm-hmm. that is at the heart of the Christian moral life and the teachings of Jesus. I mean, he even said, love your enemies. You know, so that means political opponents. 
we need to treat with love and respect, even if it's a very sharp disagreement. But we don't see that, and therefore, there's not civil dialogue. There's not constructive dialogue. It's destructive. It leads to division. It leads to a divided nation. Mm-hmm. Even you know the, the basic norms of conversation, traditional social mores, are just thrown to the wind. I mean, we need to show respect for those with whom we disagree. But in our culture today, it's become culturally acceptable to abuse and injure other people, to damage and destroy their reputation. I mean, I've been praying for Amy Coney Barrett. You know, I mean, I wonder- That's exactly what I was thinking about. And what bothers me is when I see Catholics or Christians, other Christians, engage in that way, I'm like, don't forget the Eighth Commandment. Hmm. I mean, the Eighth Commandment. I think we need like a revival of the Eighth Commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Right. But if you read the Catechism, that's a prohibition of rash judgment. Hmm. It's a prohibition against of, of slander, of calumny. What's calumny? Calumny is, is when you actually say lies. Okay. So slander is when you put someone else down, but what you're saying is truthful. Calumny, you're, you're actually putting someone down, but you're lying, and you're lying about them. Uh-huh. You know, a lot of this happens, you, you see it on news media, you see it, I guess, uh, social media, and you think about the anonymity of social media, and that emboldens people, right. you know, and then they behave badly. You know, because they're anonymous, but Mm -hmm. we must not forget that we are not anonymous to God. (laughs) We're not anonymous to God. And I think we all need to do an examination of conscience regarding the Eighth Commandment. And if we find that we've fallen into rash judgment, slander, calumny, defamation, (laughs) defaming someone else's reputation has become much too commonplace you know, we should respect the good name of others. That's, that's part of obeying God's law. So I think we do have a moral and spiritual problem in our country because of this vitriol and because of this sinful anger. And as, as you said, Kyle, and I, I, I said, when our words or our attitudes are so contrary to the gospel of Jesus, you know, we're not helping to solve this problem in our country. We're part of the problem. Right. You know, we're called to be better. Yeah, I, I don't, I think vigorous debate of issues, yeah. And they can get heated, mm-hmm. yes. But it shouldn't be personal attacks. It shouldn't be disrespect right. for the dignity of the person with whom we disagree. So would you say that righteous anger would need both one, for you to be right about what you're angry about. Right. And then second, with the way you act on your anger. Exactly. That, that makes it righteous. Yeah, exactly. So you could be right, but acting wrongly. Yeah. Or you could be wrong and acting rightly. Yeah. And neither one of those would be justified. Right. You know, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is self-control. <laughs> right. You know, and, um, <laughs> and one of the things St. Thomas Aquinas and actually other great scholars of the church have talked about sinful anger is that, it's when one allows that passion to overcome their, their human reason. They allow this passion, this emotion, to get the best of them. 
But no, the Holy Spirit gives us the gift of self-control so we can control our appetites, right. uh, our, our emotions. All right. Well, I've got good news for people. If they have questions for Bishop, they can ask them. You can go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop or text the Holy Cross College text line 260-436-9598. And we will continue to talk about political responsibilities of Catholics and specifically how Catholics should act and believe on these different topics. Coming up on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. When you're worried about your health, you go see a doctor. Worried about finances? Talk to the helpful folks at Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. You already share our values. Why not share in our savings? Notre Dame FCU. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. And again, if you want to hear Bishop's talk, you can go to Facebook and look up Holy Cross College and find the lecture that was given it was uh was that saturday friday i think it was wednesday oh, okay a week ago yeah i think it was yeah i'm sorry my i i'm, <laughs> I'm on the go every day yeah. here and there i can't remember what night i was where <laughs> sure sure i watched it over the weekend a very good talk and I'm, we've been covering a lot of it here today and one of the things you talked about is the main polarizing issues that catholics should have a very specific stance on because not just because you're Catholic, but because it's true and right and just and respects the dignity of the person, all of that. So can you talk about what those are and, and where Catholics need to fall on those? Well, the four that I highlighted were the economy, because that's always such a big issue in, in debates, mm -hmm. and especially at election time. And economic issues, you know, a lot of people vote according to their pocketbook, they say. Uh -huh. uh, that often the economy is decisive for for voters. So I, I thought, well, I should talk about that and where we stand as Catholics. Of course, human life, you mm -hmm. know, which the life of the unborn and the life and dignity of every human person. And then third, I did talk about immigration. And fourth, I talked about the environment. So I'm not sure in this program if we'll have time to deal with all four. So Kyle, which of those four should I start with? Uh, how about environment? Oh, okay. That was the that was the last one I talked about. But yes, because you know, I wonder too. I don't know that our people hear enough about the church's teaching on the environment. So it's kind of good that uh, that you mentioned that. Uh, of course, we have our recent popes, Pope John Paul II, and Pope Benedict XVI gave us a lot of important teaching on this. But a lot of people when they don't even know that, didn't right. get a lot of press, but they did. They did speak a lot about it. I think more people are aware of Pope Francis on this issue because Pope Francis wrote the wonderful encyclical Laudato Si mm -hmm. on the environment. But anyhow, so it is a polarizing issue today. We see one side is very concerned about ecology and the deterioration of the environment around the earth, mm -hmm. uh, global warming, the depletion of natural resources, the loss of biodiversity. You see all of these environmental problems. And the side that's deeply concerned advocates for a global political response, that this is an urgent need, mm -hmm. this is a, an urgent priority. 
And then the other side may express some concern, but doesn't view the problem with the same urgency. And the other side is more resistant to international regulation. Mm -hmm. They tend to resist environmental legislation that would interfere with the free market or, and, and then there are some people who even deny any human causes of global warming. Mm -hmm. So where does the church stand? And that's what I wanted to, uh, that's what I talked a little bit about in this speech. And, you know, if you look at the document of us U.S. bishops on faithful citizenship, in our introductory letter, remember we have a new introductory letter this year, we had something to say about this. We wrote, and I'm going to quote, we must find ways to care better for God's creation, especially those most impacted by climate change, the poor, and protect our common home. We must resist the throwaway culture and seek integral development for all. And as I said, we have these prophetic teachings of John Paul II and Benedict XVI. We have this encyclical from our Holy Father, Pope Francis. And in the encyclical, Pope Francis called for what he called ecological conversion. And, you know, one of the good fruits of that encyclical is it, many people who, who read it who were kind of passive about the issue became active and became concerned about global environmental deterioration. Now, in my own life, I think I was most personally impacted, not just by reading Laudato Si, but in my visits with CRS, mm -hmm. you know, and I've talked about them on this show, my visit to Ethiopia, to the West Bank and Gaza, to Haiti, to El Salvador, and I saw, you know, the effects of, of the harm of the environment. And when you look at the, the church's teaching in this area, it's not, it's not ideological. It's, you know, there's some, I guess you could call them environmentalist fanatics who ignore the, the human Right. Ecology. Right. Or, or put the environment on the same level as a human life. Right. Like right. The, or the animals. eagles are just yeah, as right, important right, as the humans. Right. Right. So we don't, we don't buy that. Right. On the other extreme, you have those who even deny there is a crisis, mm -hmm. you know, and they deny climate change. So they're really denying science. But we look at this as a moral issue, the care of creation. I mean, this is part of God's revelation. You know, to protect the land, to protect mm -hmm. our water, to protect the air that we share. This is a religious duty. This is stewardship right. of, the, of creation. And we have responsibility to protect the environment. As a matter of fact, who are most vulnerable to these problems are, are the weak, mm -hmm. the unborn, the elderly. So this has to do with the common good. The and probably the poor as well. The poor. Because the rich, we might be able to buy clean air or whatever, you know, right. but. Right. The, the well, you should see, I mean, when I was in Haiti, this is just one example. I mean, it's been deforested mm -hmm. and all the effects that I've had on farming and the poor, they can't even farm. The land's no good anymore. Right. You know, there was a really, I don't know, thought provoking question that Pope Francis wrote in Laudato Si. He said, what kind of world do we want to leave to those who come after us? to children who are now growing up. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. And, and really the church teaches and the popes have taught that this is a global issue. 
it, you know, obviously we're talking about the whole earth. What's happening in the Amazon affects the whole world, yeah. you know, when it comes to the environment. So there needs to be action by the international community, not just by individual nations. Mm -hmm. And how do you do that? Well, you have political agreements between nations, global agreements to confront this problem. And then also within the country. Now, so the moral voice of the church needs to be heard. The voice of scientists needs to be heard to go against, to counter these ideologies that oftentimes are immoral or irrational, that disregard the grave damage that's been done to the natural environment. I was talking to somebody who said, well, this is all just Pope Francis's uh, crusade. I said, no. I said, have you read Pope Benedict? Have you read Pope John Paul II? I said, listen to this quote from Pope Benedict XVI. He wrote, preservation of the environment, promotion of sustainable development, and particular attention to climate change are matters of grave concern hmm. for the entire human family. This shouldn't be a conservative liberal issue. Right. I really encourage people, our listeners, to read the prophetic encyclical of Pope Francis, Laudato Si, on care for our common home. Mm -hmm. To read it carefully, to read it prayerfully and reflectively. So that's, that's one issue right. that is polarizing, but where we as Catholics have a definite moral position. Mm -hmm. We don't have much time, but maybe I, we've talked quite a bit in the past about immigration and how there needs to be, I, I forget what you said in the talk. It was, it was a very succinct countries. It's, I think you quoted the catechism. Yes. Maybe. Yeah. And I don't know how much time do we have uh, just a few minutes. I don't know oh. if we can just. Well, I think there's a maybe short you're, version you're right. of the, I each think, of these. You know, there is, everybody knows the polarization about the issue of immigration. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we re really need a rational civil dialogue on it in our country. And it's a moral issue. Why? Because it deals with the dignity of the human person. Mm -hmm. Many of the immigrants who come here come here because of economic conditions that have undermined their human dignity. Some came, come here or try to come here as refugees. Right. Their lives are in danger. They're escaping political or religious persecution. This is what the church says. And I'll just quote the catechism because this is fundamental. And I quote, if you want to look it up in the catechism, it's number 2241. The more prosperous nations are obliged, obliged mm -hmm. to the extent they are able to welcome the foreigner in search of the security and the means of livelihood, which he cannot find in his country of origin. Public authorities should see to it that the natural right is respected, that places a guest under the protection of those who receive them. So more prosperous nations, that includes the United States, Check. of course, yep. are obliged to the extent that we're able to welcome foreigners in search of security and the means of livelihood that right. they can't find in their home country. Now, it also means, you know, helping their home countries. Mm -hmm. So people aren't forced to migrate. You know, that's right. the other thing. That's what CRS is doing all mm -hmm. over the world. And we believe as bishops that our nation, which has so many great resources, that we're not living up to this moral obligation. That's why we advocate for a more generous immigration policy. When you think about it, how many people around the world have been forced to leave their homes? About 80 million. 
80 million people forced to leave their homes because of violence or extreme poverty. And among them are 26 million refugees. The others would be like displaced within their own countries. Mm -hmm. And when you look at those 26 million refugees, you know, half of them are children. And there's a natural right to migrate to flee violence, persecution, and life-threatening poverty. And we have a moral duty to welcome people in such dire straits to the extent that we are able. This is a moral imperative. This isn't like an optional thing. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it has to do with the universal common good. I wonder how God is going to judge us on this. Um, we can look into the whole issue of of illegal immigration. Of course, that's probably one of the hottest topics. And the church doesn't condone illegal immigration. But we do insist on the just and humane treatment of undocumented immigrants, upholding their human dignity, guarding their safety, and preserving their family unity, not separating children from their parents. This is really a humanitarian issue. I mean, we're talking about people created in the image and likeness of God, our brothers and sisters. Now, yeah, should we properly screen? Yes, at our borders or undocumented immigrants. You know, I mean, that's very important. It's a security issue. Mm -hmm. And as I said, our laws are, are getting broken. If someone enters the country illegally, we don't condone that. But what do we do? We're faced with a situation with all these undocumented immigrants in our country. We want... To, uh, we favor allowing them to earn the right to remain through their hard work, their good character. Yeah, paying just penalties, depending on what their intent was and the effect of breaking our laws, like paying a fine or and as well as taxes that would, are owed. But we don't consider undocumented immigrants to be criminals, according to the standard use of the term. They've traditionally immigration violations are violations of civil laws, not criminal laws. Now, there's some debate about this, I understand. But I, you know where I don't think there's room for debate, debate, Kyle, is the issue of DACA. Like, mm. I think it's a moral imperative for our nation to allow young people who were brought here as children and only know this country as their home, the ability to become legalized. So anyhow, that I, I hope is helpful, understanding where, where the church stands on this issue. Yeah. And maybe we don't have time, but maybe we could talk a little bit about the difference between breaking a law and the morality of different situations where you have no other option and, and right. you, you know, like if you have to steal bread because you're going to starve, that kind of a situation. Right. Maybe that'll be a, a future episode. Yeah. Uh, in, in 30 seconds, what is your process for writing a lecture like this? Well, yeah, I... These are things I've read about and studied and thought about for so long. I will look at, you know, some of the great social documents of the popes. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you know, John Paul's like my hero. Yeah. <laughs> so I love what he has written on these topics. What and uh, and I love Pope Benedict and Pope Francis. So reading the papal documents, reading the documents of the Second Vatican Council, that's all part of when I prepare, and also kind of getting up to date on what is actually happening right now uh -huh. like the numbers of refugees right i mean i had to look that up right i mean i knew there were millions but i wanted i had to keep up with the the numbers but i basically you know kind of 
have already studied quite a bit these issues. So it's not like I'm starting from scratch. It's just putting it all together in a way that flows well. Uh-huh. All right. Well, again, you can check out the entire talk that was recorded, and it's on the Facebook page over at Holy Cross College. You can find it there. And if you have any questions, just shoot us a text using that Holy Cross College text line. They sponsor our text line, 260-436-9598. And before we go, can we get your Episcopal blessing? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Next week, hear Bishop talk about Our Lady of the Rosary and St. John Leonardi, two feast days that are approaching soon. Then he answers questions submitted from listeners. Check out all the previous episodes of Truth and Charity by going to RedeemerRadio.com askbishop or search for Truth and Charity on your favorite podcast app, including the free Redeemer Radio app. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives by providing products and services to save them money. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it away to our members' favorite charities. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.